What is up and welcome in. It's another edition of 10,000 Pitches presented by SodaSoccer.com. Alongside me, fellow contributor to Soda Soccer, Mr. Dominic Jose. Oh wow! Uh, is is your aunt like, like same like your no your opposite aunt? sides? Opposite oh, sides. I was gonna say that'd be pretty crazy. It's just coincidence. Okay, um, but happy birthday to both of them. Um, yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah, just uh, good, good, uh, good day. Pretty good weather this this whole week and all that. So not too much to complain about. Yeah, it's um, it's it's been a really nice week for the most part. Actually, I've had some rain, some storms, but we definitely could use it. And, um, you know, been out at training a couple times this week and it hasn't been too terrible uh, as far as heat goes. So, which is very rare. It's like we had August in July and now we're having September in August. It's very, <laughs> it's been kind of a, a, just a weird summer all around with sort of the quote unquote late start and everything. But uh, we are here. Uh, I'm in an, an air conditioned basement. So it's quite temperate over here in uh, Cottage Grove. As we get ready to bring you episode 105 of 10,000 Pitches. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast feed, please do. Let's you know when we drop a new episode of 10K. Also lets you know when we drop a new episode of Post Loons. Just after every Minnesota United match, of course, had my first one over at the Allianz Field press box on Saturday following the win versus Austin. Really uh, big thanks to the PR team at Minnesota United for getting me set up to do those live streams at Allianz Field moving forward the rest of the way. So that's going to be a lot of fun and hopefully continue to give you guys more access um, as we do those post-game shows in-house there. Um, so if you subscribe, you get post loons and 10,000 pitches in your feed every week. Also leave us a rating and review on your preferred podcast platform. If you could, we're up to 11 reviews on Spotify, Dom, or 11 yes. ratings, I should say. So okay. if you have, even if the Spotify is not your preferred platform that you listen on, if you have the Spotify app on your phone, look up soda soccer, you know, you have, I guess you have to listen to a, to an episode. So, you know, listen to like half an episode or whatever, and then give us that, uh, give us that, that rating. That would be awesome. Trying to boost our Spotify ratings there, but, uh, yeah, uh, it's been cool to see those rolling in. And as always, make sure you're helping us out by heading to sodasoccer.com, consuming the content that we're putting up there. Also follow us on Twitter at soda SOC. And if you want to go with that extra mile, you can get some bonus content and support our work by subscribing to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash soda soccer you get a bonus podcast episode each week um and on this one dom this week on 10k stoppage time some news broke just today just before we started recording former minnesota united academy standout mcwelle akale signs with south excuse me wow south georgia tormenta in usl league one so on this weekend's uh or in this week's edition of 10K stoppage time. Dom and I will be talking about that. Akale's history with the Minnesota United Academy, his professional career up to this point, and what it could mean for him uh, moving forward. Um, and I don't know. I didn't look at the schedule. I guess we'll we'll break this down when we get to stoppage time. I haven't looked at the schedule yet to see if Tormenta actually plays forward Madison uh, at, at all the rest of the way. Um, I know there's only about eight or nine games left in that schedule. So we will break that all down on this week's edition of 10K stoppage time. Uh, but yeah, big news breaking there. So yeah, head up our Patreon, patreon.com slash soda soccer if you want to learn more about that. But as we get into the headlines here, Dom, we are starting with Minnesota United and probably for my money, 
the most important regular season win in their history of MLS, two to one over Austin FC. Would you agree with that statement, Don? I think uh, you know. Obviously, when you, you break down the numbers and all that, obviously they all as as every coach at every level says every time you ask them, uh, they all count the same, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean this this is this is a, definitely a statement win at that sort of emotional mental level uh, to step up and you know this Austin FC side. Um, I, I went. I was lucky enough to go to the game. First game I've gone to uh, in. Uh, since 2019 last game i went to was the uh, open cup semifinal against portland um mm-hmm. uh, so uh, it was great to be there and the whole time all the people i was with i kept kind of like whispering every time something good would happen be like yeah austin fc is a good team though so yeah, yeah obviously that opener came early in the game and the whole time i was like yeah this is a good team though so i don't mm-hmm. want to get you know too excited too early and uh the fact is that minnesota united more often than not on the night handled the situation obviously the scoreline itself ends up being relatively tight and there were certainly dangerous moments for austin and, and of course they got that goal as well um, but all that being said i thought minnesota looked strong start to finish had some really bright periods obviously got some goals out of all that uh and yeah the fact that you can get points get a win uh, against a team during the playoff crunch that is such a force in the west right now yeah it's a, it's a huge statement it's really the only bigger statement you could really make at this point would be to, you know, beat LAFC. Uh, other than yeah. that, this is about as big of a move as you can do in, in conference play right now. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was a really strong result. I'm sure we'll dig into it more, but um, I, I thought the, the loons looked strong. I thought that anytime there was sort of a, a big mistake, the recovery was good. The mentality was good. Um Obviously, I'm sure we'll talk about that. You had some some appearances from players, substitutions. You had a, a debut for Garcia and stuff. So a lot, lot of interesting details through it. But I definitely think the Loons handled the pressure well. They did. And kind of going off of that, talking about the importance of it, the atmosphere in the stadium obviously reflected that. I was in the press box. And yes, there is the seating area in front of the press box. Where you can actually go out and sort of be in the stadium, if you will. You know, and I did that during stoppage time, and it's as loud as I had ever heard Allianz Field for any match. It was insane. Being in the crowd, Dom, what was that electricity like compared to maybe prior visits that you've had at Allianz? Oh, I mean, it was it was really great. Um, mm-hmm. You know, most of my most of my Minnesota United uh, attending uh, history is, is TCF heavy, actually, yeah. but. Um, I, I've been lucky to, to when I have gone to Allianz on the on on occasion, uh, it's always been for for matches that have a lot of great atmosphere. Um, you know, the mm-hmm. opener against NYFC, that that Open Cup match I mentioned earlier. Um, I think I went to a, a game against Vancouver that ended in a draw. That was probably the least eventful game I've I've been to there. But you know, mm-hmm. obviously, it's a great fan base, a lot of energy. But I will say that you know, even just as someone, of course, who who watches the games rem- remotely often as well. Um, on the night, it really felt like the stadium was behind the team. It felt like, you know, whether or not every single person in, in, in that stadium was aware of all the dynamics of the, of the table and the goal difference and all that stuff. It felt like everybody at least understood, like, this is important. Like, th- this yeah. match means something. This team needs to do something tonight. Um, and when the Loons stepped up and, and did something, it, if you could feel the whole stadium, you know, really wake up and, and be right behind them, um yeah and, and it was just really cool to be a part of 
Uh, I don't I don't know you know what the exact uh, attendance statistics are were for the night compared to the other nights, but it definitely felt like the energy was was you know really as as big as it's gone this season. Uh, and it's just really cool to see, you know, obviously there's been some low points this year, some drama here and there. It was really great to see um, the stadium, the, the supporter base get behind the team and, and, and be there for a big win. You see sometimes MLS teams that uh, don't manage to figure that out within the same year. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's really great to know that Minnesota United continues to be a team that really, regardless of how the team is doing, the support is always there for them. But of course, when you have a good night, the supporters are are ready to to be there with you. So. Yeah, it was really cool to be there. I was really glad I got a chance to go. Um, my, I, I was, I was high up. I didn't have a close to the pitch seat, but I was actually in a really perfect spot to see the Frontapane, the winning goal. Um, and uh, yeah, I had a great time, and it sounded like everyone else had a great time. Yeah, I mean, more than nineteen thousand eight hundred in attendance. I think nineteen eight twenty five uh, or thereabouts uh, was was the official attendance. And and to me, that says that. If this team hosts a playoff game, which they're in very, very good position to do with with the standing room and stuff like that, I have to imagine the organization is going to do everything they can to try to push that over that 20,000 threshold, uh, which would be pretty cool and pretty significant. And obviously, um, there's been reports of uh, expansion projects in place for Allianz Field itself. Um, maybe, maybe don't expand to 30,000 like Nashville and then get a half empty stadium. Uh, but I definitely think there's room to grow, uh, for Minnesota United there, uh, at Allianz field. And especially that 19,800 number that's on a, that's on a night where there's a Vikings home preseason game yes. in conflict. There's Very an busy evening night. twins home game in conflict as well. Yeah. So with all of that considered, I mean, that's, that's pretty massive and that's pretty awesome. And that's pretty indicative of, Hey, if you win and you put out a good product on the field, people are going to come watch. People yeah, that was... are going to come watch. And this yeah. has kind of been one of the, to me early in the season, it, it was very much for me from a support standpoint, kind of a make or break situation. If, if the turnaround doesn't happen and we kind of see a continuation of what had been going on leading into that Miami match, in late June, mm-hmm. and this team had sort of been flirting around the tenth or worst position in the West. I thought maybe you would see that that support, that attendance, kind of really start to dwindle down and not get the sellouts and things like that. Um, so obviously, when you win, people come out and watch, people attend, people pay their hard-earned money to come see you. And um, it was kind of at a pivot point for Minnesota United earlier this season um, because I think the honeymoon phase has kind of worn off. Right. Mm. That, oh, this is this new team, this new stadium, this new whatever. The new is that shine is sort of worn off with the expansion part of it. We're in the sixth, sixth, excuse me, season for Minnesota United, uh, fourth at Allianz Field. This is sort of that point where you're in it now. You need to provide your fans value if they are going to come watch. And early this season, I think, was that pivot point. And credit to Minnesota United, credit to the the players that they brought in, credit to Adrian Heath, credit to the players. They were able to make that adjustment. And not only has it helped them, obviously, in the standings and their playoff hopes, but it's really helped continue that home support that they've become so used to over these first you know handful of years. Absolutely, and you know, even just in the in the vacuum of this one game, you you think of, and I'm sure I'm sure we'll go kind of through a minute by minute of the game soon, but. 
you think of that fraud planning winner, which of course sort of is created off of just sort of pressure, causing a mistake, stealing the ball. Um, those sorts of games, that sort of momentum. Funny enough, you know, obviously a, a big game people were talking about this week was that Leeds game where Aronson scored. It's kind of a similar situation. Um, a lot of that stuff is pushed forward by by the crowd. It's by players yeah. feeling like I gotta take that final extra step because there's you know, 10, 20, 30,000 people screaming at me to do it. And, you know, that that's what pushes you forward. And it definitely felt like, um, it felt like one of those nights where that sort of that 12th man element or whatever, it, it, that felt present. Um, and yeah, like you said, really impressive for that to happen on a night where <laughs> somehow every other Minnesota sports or Twin City sports team was playing that night. I, yeah. I don't even know how that happened, but the Twins, the Vikings you mentioned in preseason, the, the Saints even had a home game. Yeah. Like, everybody if minneapolis city was still in season i'm sure they would have been playing <laughs> like, everybody was somehow playing. the minnesota wild played a summer home home yeah. game at xl <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you know when you have that i mean you would you would almost expect and you wouldn't even blame minnesota united but you would expect like oh okay maybe not a full house it's a lot going yeah. on uh but it was i mean it, it was it was a path house so yeah really really cool one to see the fan base show up with all those factors in mind um, and, and two, to just see them play such an active role again, I, it really felt like there, it felt like, especially in that last leg of the game, it really felt like the fans were, were pushing the players to keep up, keep running, keep challenging, force, force attempts, go for shots, just really keep the game, the momentum on, on uh, Minnesota United's side. And, and that was great to see. Another thing that just popped into my head, Dom, and we'll get into the match itself in just a minute. So your match analysis is coming, but I think the significance of this is, you know, how many people that opted not to go to the Vikings game, not to go to the Twins game, to go to the to the Loons, right? Because, right. I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, the Loons game, Minnesota United, that match far more significant than one of 162 for the Twins, right. preseason for the Vikings. If, if Minnesota is out of the playoff contention and they're not really providing value – do more people opt to go to Vikings? Do more people sure. opt to go to the Twins game? You know, I think getting you mentioned not everybody in the in the stands maybe knowing the the true gravity of the situation and the ins and outs and you know all that. I think that's a good thing, right? Because mm-hmm. that means you're pulling in more of those casuals, more of those just general Twin Cities Minnesota sports fans, seeing the significance that hey, this is a much bigger match. It's going to be a better atmosphere. Maybe I've never been to Allianz Field before. Maybe I've never been to a Loons match. You know, whatever. Like. That to me just it shows how much Minnesota United is growing in that footprint in the Twin Cities sports community and the Twin Cities sports scene because there's a lot of competition, a lot of a lot of franchises who have been around for many years who have really developed and dedicated fan bases. But you see on a night where all those teams are playing, Minnesota still sells out Allianz Field, and that's awesome. Um, let's get into the match itself though. Two one. Minnesota United, your victors over the Verde of Austin FC. Um, an exchange of PKs tie things up at one at half. First, it's Reynoso. Big thanks to former Loon Ethan Finley for committing the infraction that led to the penalty. Uh, Reynoso buries it. Interesting stat on Reynoso. And shout out to both PR manager Gabby Lozada for Minnesota United, but also Andy Grader for actually looking into this information from the Pioneer Press. Um, Reynoso has gone to the spot four times this season Hmm. technically he's only scored three of those but the other one he buried off the rebound against rsl so 
Um, still, I think you want to count it four goals and four PK tries. I'll, I'll give you that. But um, he's money from the spot, as always. Uh, but then it's uh, Sebastian Driussi, MVP frontrunner, who levels things with his own PK and first half stoppage after an unfortunate handball in the box from DJ Taylor. So you're going into half, knotted 1-1, kind of a deflating way to go into halftime, though. I mean, any anytime you concede yeah. right before half, it's uh, you know, it's not good for the momentum. But to do it on a on a on a just a weird handball like that is sort of, I mean, it's not ideal. But at the same time, it wasn't a big mistake, a big miscue, a, a massive, uh, you know, falling out. It was just sort of, oh, yeah. man, that was unlucky. And now they're level 1-1. One, one. Uh, but just uh, less than 20 minutes into the second half, you get one of the best hustle plays you will ever see uh, on the soccer pitch. Fragapane, who is consistently uh, Chris Bills from the striker who covers Austin FC for the striker was also in the, in the press box right next to me. And he was looking for a word to describe, describe Fragapane. And I told him he's a pest. He is a pest for opposing defenders. He is constantly running, constantly getting in your face. His motor does not quit. Um, And it pays huge dividends here. Uh, Julio Julio Cascante has the ball in his own box for Austin. And Fragapane just comes in, picks his pocket, and buries a nice little chip, too. It wasn't only the steal. It was the chip uh, past past Stuver there uh, for for what ended up being the winner. I think that in a nutshell just shows the impact that Fragapane's resurgence has had on this team. It's five straight with a goal or an assist now for Franco. Um, where would this team be if he had not refound his form? I don't even know, but he did. And you're seeing it pay off not only in his personal stats, but also on the, on the, on the score sheet as well. Yeah, absolutely. He he's really sort of found a place in this team or refound a place in this team in, in these last couple of months. And, and you're seeing quite a few goals and assists come out of it. Um, obviously a, a goal in this situation. And and yeah, it, it it's interesting the way he played, uh, particularly like the second half of, of this game and, and also to a degree through the season, especially as he sort of found his form. It uh it, it almost reminds me just as some sort of point of reference for for other loons fans it kind of reminds me of what heath was able to get out of miguel Ibarra in like 2019 when mm-hmm. he kind of turned him into like um i think at the time me and like i don't even know who i ref- used this term maybe some family or something call it like a mosquito like he would just dart around and mm-hmm. annoy back lines annoy midfielders just make it harder to do the basic stuff you have to do to build up plays yeah. and uh and fragapane is really found uh, his, his place in that role obviously results in a goal um, in this game, and otherwise it can obviously benefit the team regardless of, of whether you get a turnover or not. But uh, yeah, he he's really shown up. He's sort of been quietly one of the the most improved players over this really positive stint that United's been on. Obviously, a lot of talk about Reynoso and Amaria, but uh, Fragapane has been as much a part of it as anybody else. Um, and, and on the night, he's really the one that, that shows up big. Obviously, the rest of those guys with, with you know, not no goals from open play. And it's really him that, that stands out, creates something for himself. Um, in a game that, you know, frankly, both teams were playing well enough that I think a mistake was always going to be kind of what determined who won. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought both defenses did a pretty solid job most of the time of sort of handling each other. Obviously, it, you know, there's three goals in this game, which would make you think it was a there was a lot of stuff going on, but a lot, you know, those were penalties, obviously two of them from silly moments from otherwise really stalwart defenses. So um, 
yeah, you know, Fred Depone ends up being there to create another mistake, in this case, one sort of more in open play and, and takes advantage of it. And just it's a really strong show of his character on the pitch, uh, a reminder of, of what he brings to this team, while maybe there's other players that we talk more about for, you know, style points, things like that. We'll get right back into the episode in just a minute, but I want to talk to you about our friends over at Pence Homes. If you're on Minnesota United Twitter, you probably know who Nate Pence is. He's a diehard Loon supporter, but he's also a supporter of Minnesota soccer as a whole, just like us here at Soda Soccer. See, Nate and his team are realtors specializing in the St. Paul and Minneapolis area, and he proudly supports various teams and organizations in the Twin Cities soccer community, like Minneapolis City, our friends over at Equal Time Soccer, and now SodaSoccer.com and 10,000 pitches. Not only is Nate ingrained in the local soccer ecosystem here, he's also helped countless people in and around the Metro buy and sell their homes and has made them very happy as a result. But don't take our word for it. Just listen to what Kate W. had to say. She said, quote, Nate was excellent to work with. He's down to earth, approachable, not pushy. We developed a great rapport with Nate and have already recommended him to friends. So just head to pencehomes.com to get the process started or email Nate directly at nate at pencehomes.com. That's P-E-N-T-Z homes.com. Also, make sure you let him know Jeremy from Soda Soccer sent you. Again, that's pencehomes.com, P-E-N-T-Z homes.com. And credit to Minnesota for seeing it out over that final, you know, 30 minutes or so. Obviously, the second half has been a bit of a, a house of, or had been, I should say, a house of horrors for this team um, earlier on in the season, especially when they were struggling. But they they really nailed it down against a, an Austin attack that has done most of their damage in the second half in matches this season. Uh, you saw it in the SKC match just last week, down 3-1 at half. Slow starts have been the norm for Austin, but they're still getting wins and getting results. And obviously that's much to do with the way they're able to turn it on and, and pour the goals in over the second 45. But not only does Minnesota United hold Austin goalless in the second 45, they hold this attack goalless from the run of play for the whole 90. And when you talk about Minnesota United leading from the back, this is what I'm talking about. If, if Austin just gets one goal in the run of play in this match, we're, we're, we're looking at probably a draw or maybe the momentum shifts from that. And all of a sudden it becomes four to Austin. Right. Right. But the defensive work rate, the defensive play, you have DJ Taylor switching from right wing to left wing because Kamar Lawrence is injured. Now that's, that's a, that's a position. He's not really, I mean, he's, he's been there before, but it's not the position he normally plays. Um, and handball aside, I thought he was really good. Uh, box on to bossy in the middle really good alan benitez we're seeing continued improvement from him um getting forward in the attack i mean from the press box view you're almost getting like a to use a a football term and it's probably gonna get a few eye rolls an all 22 if you will Mm. uh view of the field from the press box and you can see just how much benitez is pushing further than taylor in the attack like they're they're literally like this like difference um uh, and of course, bad podcasting there. I'm holding one hand <laughs> higher up than the other to to show this. Um, but like, um, not only did he get forward and do do what he does in the attack and assisting there, but I think the improvement that we saw in this match from Benitez was he was much more defensively sound, much more, um, I guess, effectively defensively positioned. You know, really more picking out the spots in which he wants to get forward 
and, and make that attacking contribution. Um, and then you look at Robin Lud and Kervin Ariaga in the defensive midfield. Robin Lud is just getting better and better in that number eight spot each game. Kervin Ariaga, when he's healthy and when he's on the field, obviously a huge impact player for this team. I think you really just saw a complete performance. I cannot look at one individual player on the pitch and say they performed below their level. They pour, they performed below par. I think everybody contributed. But to me, it still goes back to the defensive performance really impacting and truly impacting the results that we're seeing on the field. Yes, you have to score the goals, but you also have to keep the ball out of your own net. And Minnesota United, obviously, with no goals given up in the run of play, no goals at all given up in the second 45 against a traditional second-half heavy team, really impressive. Absolutely. And I, I actually, I, you know, I do want to emphasize this. I think we, we talked last episode about the problem people were identifying and, and you brought it up now. Um, Alan Benitez. Yes, I completely agree. I, I luckily because of where I was sitting, I had him basically directly below me in the first half when he was defending. And then obviously I could see him when he was contributing to the attack generally. Um, and it, the whole game, he felt more confident. He felt more aware of what he was supposed to be doing. Uh, the de- defensive positioning seemed better. Obviously, I'm saying that from someone who's not seen, um, you know, all, all the the layouts and plans the team has. But from the eye test, it seemed better. He seemed to be able to address problems better. And at the same time, he still every time there was a turnover, every time the loons got the ball back, he was still incredibly hungry to make a run, to get into a position, to feed off someone or feed someone the ball. You know, very attack minded. But it seems like he's finding, um, you know, how to do both now, mm-hmm. which obviously is, is, you know, what everyone's kind of been talking about is the one thing that he needs to do to really uh, help this team. And yeah, it was interesting that, you know, obviously, unfortunately, because of Lawrence not being available, it was interesting to see Taylor sort of be given a, a different opportunity to, to play on the other side, see what that looks like. Um, we've seen it before, but see what it looks like now. And yeah, he had a good game. Uh, the handball that he gave away was 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 a really sloppy moment. Um, other than that, though, uh, he and the entire back line had a, had a, a pretty good game. So um, at a certain point, you know, I, I, I would put uh, the good performance over the one bad moment. Um, and yeah, no, I, I thought defensively, we actually learned a lot about this team uh, in this game. A lot of improvement, a lot of people showing what they can do in different positions. And uh, I, I think that was really encouraging to see. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we've seen an encouraging stint of results for the defense in general, obviously, since those those 4-4 and 4-3 matches that happened a while back now. But, uh, yeah, I, I was very encouraged by what I saw from Benitez. I was very encouraged by what I saw from uh, players like Juan Juane, uh, uh, mm-hmm. Amaria, obviously. You know, there were a lot of players that showed up. I Maybe we'll talk a little bit about uh, the little bit we saw of Mender Garcia. I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, it was obviously a, a very raw performance. He hasn't had much time to really get to know this team and obviously only played so many minutes. But uh, when he did get some time in the ball, he looked, you know, really, really aggressive. He looked like he really wanted to play forward, get things happening. And that was great to see um, just from sort of a, a starting point. So, yeah, again, I, I think obviously the results helps the team on the table and all that mathematically, but also from sort of a, a personnel level, I thought we saw some some really encouraging signs. Yeah, we did get a cameo from Mender Garcia. His first appearance for Minnesota United came on to a humongous ovation from the Allianz Field crowd, which is awesome to see. And yeah, I mean, look, the whole, I guess, hype around Garcia coming in is this guy's fast. 
this guy's got pace. And he showed that yes. numerous he times. He appeared to be fast. <laughs> yeah, he is indeed fast in the 10, 15 minutes that we saw him. Uh, he was showing that out. So that's really interesting. John Marthaler uh, wrote a really nice piece for SodaSoccer.com here this afternoon on Thursday about uh, how important pace and speed has been to Minnesota United this season um, and how that's really not been a strength for them. Actually, you could almost call that a weakness in years past that they've had to try to make up for in other ways um, and how important that in injection of speed has been to their success this season. Obviously, Mender Garcia um, only enhances that. So go check that piece out from John. Uh, great stuff from him, as always, at sodasoccer.com. But you talk about the table, Dom. Hmm. You know, hosting a home playoff game, you know, is, is I think, the goal. Mender Garcia, or excuse me, uh, Robin Ludd said that that's the bare minimum now. If we don't host a playoff game at this juncture where we're at, it'd be considered a, uh, not a failure, but definitely uh, below their capability. Yeah. Um, but I look at the table. You're ahead. You're you're behind Dallas in overall points, a game behind or a point behind. But Dallas has played two more games than you. So technically, if you're looking at points per game, once you know, once all the games in hand get figured out, you would be ahead of Dallas theoretically mm-hmm. for third. So on points per game, you're third. But if you look at the table, this win puts you seven points behind Austin, and you have Houston this weekend. Austin has LAFC. Mm-hmm. If the results work out, if you pick up the three points you need to pick up at home against Houston, which you that's three points or bust, right? Yeah. Even a draw against LAFC for Austin brings you within five points. If LAFC gets the win, then you're four points now behind Austin for second. And if you want to, you know, I, I say this to my kids all the time and it's kind of something that i've i've kind of lived by you know if you shoot for the moon you'll find yourself amongst the stars right mm-hmm. i mean if you if you make second place your goal you're at the very least going to put some you know space behind yourself and the playoff line some continued space yeah. behind yourself in the home playoff line theoretically if you make that your goal and you achieve that and you do what you need to do to give yourself the best shot at the very least you're going to be sitting third or fourth which is gives you that home playoff spot but the, you know, pending results this weekend, you might be in a good position to even strive for that two spot in the West before it's all said and done. Yeah, I mean that's a fair point. And and if if Minnesota United, you know, even if it's third, like you said, even if it ends up being third, but getting into say that top three, um, that's a huge achievement for for a team that particularly has had an up and down year. I mean, you know, it has not been a consistently funneled the time all positive season. There's been some pretty rough periods uh, to get there with this group, I think would, would, would leave a, a really strong note on this regular season of, of what this team's capable of. And of course, set up a potentially fruitful playoff run. And yeah, I, I to the original sort of point about uh, the Robin Lud quote, I, I do think getting a, a home playoff game is sort of, that bar it feels like for this season um there was a point where it felt like it wasn't going to be a bar that was going to get met but now that we're here and it looks like it's very possible that does feel like that's sort of that's sort of the expectation line now is Mm -hmm. one to get to the playoffs that's the sort of the general hope the the general goal but to get that home playoff game and and of course hopefully get a good result out of it but that feels like something this team needs to get done if they want to truly make the season feel like it sort of reached its its general potential um 
and it's exciting to see that it feels really possible now. But yeah, I mean, if you're Minnesota United, you got to take advantage of the fact that Austin's going to have a rough patch schedule-wise right now, and you have less of one. Uh, you know, Houston, I know that, you know, I, uh, I read the, the article that came out in the Star Tribune today or yesterday for, for ahead of the Houston match. And, you know, they were talking about obviously that you don't want to underestimate opponents and, and that there's, it's always possible to, to lose or draw against teams like the Houston Dynamo. But at the same time, if you're in the Minnesota United's position, you got to really not allow excuses for that. You got to, you have to just aim to have all those points. Uh, otherwise, that very quickly becomes how teams drop uh, much lower in the table. And again, for all the positives that Minnesota United is having, you still got teams like RSL and Nashville, all these guys that aren't too far behind, and there are games left for them to overlap. So, yeah, it, it's exciting, but but obviously it also means that there is that pressure of making sure that all this potential leads to something. Uh, this fan base certainly deserves a, a home playoff game to celebrate, and I'm, I'm sure the atmosphere would be amazing. So hopefully the Loons are able to figure that one out, and obviously the, the next step in that is getting a result against the Dynamo. Last uh, Minnesota United, at least Minnesota United first team topic before we switch gears, the the national, I guess, viewpoint of Minnesota and how that's sort of evolving and changing as they're getting results. Mm. You know, you you see plenty of of well-respected, um, you know, pundits, journalists, you know, influencers, whatever you want to call it, in the uh, American soccer space saying that they're considering Minnesota United a real dark horse candidate for MLS Cup this year. And I say real dark horse candidate, that's kind of an oxymoron. But when you look, when you look below that, that LAFC, Austin, Philadelphia tier, right? Yeah. Um, people are putting Minnesota United right at the top of that second tier of teams who can really compete and and have that opportunity to win the cup, which, you know, for all of, for how everybody makes fun of Adrian Heath for the MLS.com quotes and stuff like that, and talking about how they don't get respect, you know, Minnesota United, it seems in, you know, traditionally in the past over its, you know, first few years of MLS has really had to work extra hard to earn that benefit of the doubt from the national media and from that national perspective. So the fact that they're really starting to get it, I think, is a, is a testament to, to the run that they're on. But then from an individual perspective, too, you look at this, you know, there, there are some people that I've seen, I'm seeing on Twitter and I'm, I'm reading some stuff that's saying, you know, behind Driussi with, with, you know, uh, Ferreira's injury and, and stuff like that. It's, it's Emmanuel Reynoso who might be that MVP runner up mm. position holder right now, yeah. which you look at what didn't seem possible a few months ago, that definitely didn't seem possible a few months ago for Reynoso from an individual standpoint as well. So that, that narrative is starting to change and, and Minnesota United is really starting to get into that national spotlight as a team that, that can compete, uh, for the grand prize, which is, I mean, it, it's cool to see. It's cool to finally get that. You know, there's been a lot of talk about potential for Minnesota United in, you know, season previews and things like that. Oh, I think Minnesota could be a top three team in the West. I think they could be in that top tier, and I think they could do this. And if all of this comes together, then maybe. But now we're kind of seeing August 25th, eight games from the end of the regular season, people are calling the Loons a real contender. Yeah, and they certainly are. I mean, this, this team has the potential to beat really any of, of the teams in this league outside of potentially the, the, the best of the best. You know, the, we'll have to see if that if it comes to that. But this is an extremely talented group. I mean, that's 
to be perfectly honest. That's that's why people were, were so upset about how rough the middle of the season was. Yep. Because this isn't, you know, as a guy that was in the stands for this period of time, this isn't 2017 anymore. This isn't this isn't a bunch of guys that we probably shouldn't have signed and all this stuff and all oh, we didn't have enough time. And it, that, that happened five years ago. This is a team that's been put together just like every other MLS team. They've had the same amount of time. They've had several years. They actually have more time than other teams. They've had literally whole seasons more than other teams. Uh, and you know, you, you run out of the excuses of, of that sort of original franchise period or new franchise period. Um, that, that's why the bar is so high. That's why the bar is high when you exit the open cup or these sorts of things. Um, and so it's, it's great to see that when probably when it matters most that Minnesota United is, is sort of finding its place in that and, and finding ways to, to meet that expectation. There's no reason this team shouldn't be competing for these things i know that you know there's there's sort of things that happen in american sports always about certain markets and whether or not they're viable to compete for certain titles and all that sort of stuff but you know the whole point of the whole point of how american sports work is that that's supposed to be bogus the whole reason these leagues are structured this way that you know you have the draft and all these the teams that do poorly have these ways they can build up all that sort of stuff the whole point of all of that is that this you know the favoritism the elite team sort of thing doesn't really happen and more often i mean mls is pretty good about that i mean it's mm-hmm. it's certainly a roll of the dice on who wins the league every year um but so you know when, when people see minnesota united and, and immediately guess that that means the team isn't going to be able to be good uh that's ridiculous it's not an excuse so uh it, it's great to see the loons continuing to sort of break the mold in that sense um and and yeah i mean if you got a stadium full of people that are cheering you on whether or not you're in one city or the other i, I don't think should matter that much um and the, the loons the loons are, are proving that to people so yeah again it's exciting uh not, i think that they are contenders for for um certainly conference finals or maybe mls cup although all of that depends on you know whether or not we see what we're seeing right now last We've seen this team show that they can dip, um, and, and and it comes down to whether or not that happens again. Uh, for what it's worth, you know, once a team finds this sort of form, it's only so many games left. Usually, it doesn't dry out that quickly. But yeah, I mean, it, it's up to Adrian Heath and the players to prove that you know they deserve all, all the contract extensions and all the hopes mm-hmm. and all the sort of that stuff. They're starting to do that again, and they just got to keep doing it. They got to take it as far as they can take it. And I think for most people, if, if this team even loosely competes for silverware in, in the playoffs, that, that that'll be kind of the expectation. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm glad that the team's getting more respect. Now it's up to the team to prove that all the respect they've been asking for is, is you know, well-earned. As we mentioned, another big opportunity to pick up points and maybe officially leapfrog another position in the Western Conference table this weekend as the Loons host 13th place Houston Dynamo this weekend. Uh, Over the weekend, uh, just after Minnesota United got their win, uh, Houston got a 95th minute equalizer from Hector Herrera to draw level with Colorado and earn a point that broke a six match losing streak. For the Dynamo, so they're obviously not in uh, not in good form right now, uh, and that's a team who you should expect at home to pick up three points against, especially following up that that big Austin win. So you know you could talk about a potential hangover there. We can talk about Minnesota United's history in these kind of situations, but I will say, as I've mentioned numerous times in numerous ways and contexts 
over the last month or so, this Minnesota team seems a little bit different in that consistency factor. Uh, or maybe the roller coaster isn't quite as topsy-turvy as it has been in years past. So we'll see if they can continue to prove me right uh, on Saturday. 2.30 kickoff. There will be no post-loons following that. Um, of course, the game after I finally get to do post-loons from the Allianz Field press box, uh, we have a family wedding to go to. So uh, I will be doing a day after post-loons from the basement on Sunday. Uh, following the the Houston Dynamo match. But uh, Jacob Schneider, John Marthaler, you know, everybody's got your coverage there from Allianz on Saturday. All right, you can call this our 10K coffee break because it's time to tell you about our friends over at Night Street Soccer and Coffee. Derek and his team at Night Street have been so great to us, and we hope you can support them the way they've done for us over this past year. Night Street is part indoor soccer facility, part coffee shop. You heard me right. You can get a pickup game in and get your espresso fix all in the same place. How cool is that? I have to say, I was lucky enough to sample some of the coffee you can get at 9th Street. My goodness, it's some great stuff. Derek is one hell of a barista. I'll just say that. Affordable weekly pickup is always available at 9th Street. You can reserve the field for your team, party, or group outing. And they always have something cool going on at 9th Street, including Minnesota United watch parties happening periodically for road games throughout the season. So make sure you check them out on IG and Twitter at 9th Street MPLS. That's 9th and Street, both spelled out. N-I-N-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T. MPLS on IG and Twitter. Look them up on Facebook and Google or visit their website, NightStreetMPLS.com, just like the uh, social handles, N I N T H S T R E E T MPLS.com, to sign up for pickup, reserve field time, or just learn all about our good friends over at Night Street Soccer and Coffee. 801 South Night Street, Minneapolis, or online at NightStreetMPLS.com. Moving down to MLS Next Pro, MNUFC2, the Twosies. As uh, as we call them, the twos, the twosies, the the doubloons, whichever your preferred nickname is. Uh, they drew Real Monarchs one one after ninety, and then won three to one in the penalty shootout to pick up the extra points uh, over the weekend on Sunday. It was Nami Kibanguchi who scored the regulation equalizer, and then three penalty saves from goalkeeper Alex Smur to seal the win. Before we get to the match itself, I want to talk about a little bit the, the goalkeeper hierarchy for this Minnesota United organization right now. Because, yeah. I mean, if you would have if you would have talked about top three coming into this season, it was really St. Clair, Miller, Emmings, everyone else, right? Mm-hmm. When in terms of not, you know maybe, maybe Emmings, but in terms of goalkeepers with the highest potential, you know who could make the highest bim, bim, highest impact short and long term for this team. Well, Emmings has been down with injuries. He's coming back from COVID. Um, so Alex Smurr has really been the one to sort of come in for that second team and basically handed the keys and said, Hey, you know, you're 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 the guy from this, you know, for this period of time, make the most of this opportunity. And he very much has. Um, he's been great in goal for the second team, just from MLS Next Pro Play, pretty much the entire time that he has been starting. But then he follows that up with the goalie wars win in the uh, in the All Star Skills Challenge, which gives him that you know although it wasn't broadcast on national TV and whatever, it still gives him that sort of national spotlight for at least that short period of time, if you will. Um, uh, the Minnesota United PR team has told me that the the media request did come in pretty fast and furious for him <laughs> after that, 
uh, which I don't, uh, I don't, I don't doubt. Um, but then you get this performance following that up too, with the three penalty saves and basically putting the team on your back in the shootout and helping them earn that win. You know, this is a guy that I mean, if you're Adrian Heath, if you're somebody on the first team, he's he's on, he's got to be on your radar, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he's had a a really good run here. He's proven to be a, a great talent. He's on the younger side. I'm blanking on his exact age, but he's on the younger side. He's not an mm. older goalkeeper. So, I mean, it, it's an interesting piece to kind of have in your arsenal, uh, and particularly because, like you said, there is so much uh, conversation around different goalkeepers with this team and and also with the second team. Uh, yeah, it's a really interesting position. Uh, you know. I um so Alex Mir was the uh, the goalkeeper that MNUFC two used when they played Duluth, and uh, so I, I had the chance to kind of see him there, um, a, a little closer, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean he he's clearly a very talented player. He hasn't necessarily been the headliner. He's had to really be patient and fight for this position. Obviously, you got folks like Eric Dick, you got Fred Emmings, you got um. Obviously, on the first team, you got your your Sinclairs and your Millers. Yeah, a lot to compete with, um, but he's clearly very talented. So yeah, it's interesting. Also, by the way, as as we also just learn more and explore more about what the talent pipeline from Nets Pro to MLS is even going to look like over the years and all that kind of stuff, um, the dynamics between those two leagues. Uh, it's interesting to see how that continues to develop. There's clearly, a lot of talent there. Of course, Minnesota have. So many goalkeepers already kind of competing for for spots, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure if you're Adrian Heath, you're keeping an eye on him. You you can't just write off the fact that you clearly got a very talented guy on your second team who's stepped up in a few different ways, particularly recently, and and helps Minnesota get a key point, uh, well, two key points uh, against against RSO who or against Real Monarchs, excuse me, uh, who uh, are uh, a very good side, obviously. I think I talked last time about how one thing that people aren't always considering with these MLS Nets Pro teams is that some of these teams are brand new, say Minnesota's team, and they're p- competing with organizations where the players are are largely younger and new, but the organization, the knowledge of the organization is often much higher. I mean, Real Monarchs won US, the USL Championship like two years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yep. th- this is an organization that knows how to make good teams, right? This is not like some random, you know, project. So... Um, and obviously the uh, Tacoma were also in the championship previously as well, obviously. So, you know, it's really interesting to see United to these players step up against those minds, those organizations and the talent that those organizations have greenlit and see how they do. And yeah, Alex Mir is, is really impressing. It's going to be really interesting to see what the next couple of years look like for him and, and what level he ends up, you know, spending those years uh, playing in. It's not just Smur either. You look at, uh, you know, if you want to go to the actual field players, you talk about AZ Jackson, Carlos Leatherman, you know, um, Tommy Williamson's having a heck of a year. Um, it's just, you know, Devin Paddleford's made some impact. So it's 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 been it's been good to see. And we talked about this last week, but just kind of echoing it here, you know, where Minnesota United two is from that really that that main that main priority. The reason why they're there is to develop younger players that could potentially make an impact on the first team in the future. Right. Right. And obviously to give um, much needed playing time to some of those first team players who might not be seeing it in, in, in action. And I think at least from the first of those two and for a first year team, I think they've, they've knocked it out of the park with 
the guys that that are younger and on the on the come up and are you know maybe looking at the future and their impact they can make with the first team. Um, there are a lot of options there, I think, and a lot of reason to be excited if you're a Minnesota United fan. Um, but talking about the playoff hopes for the team themselves, um, even with the win and even with that extra point from the PK win, um, the playoff hopes are still looking slim, seven point gap, uh, but still not totally mathematically out of it yet. But even if they don't make the playoffs, still a lot of positives to take from this first season for Minnesota United to an MLS next pro. Let's switch gears here though, Dom, and talk about the college soccer scene kicking off this, this past weekend. Um, of course, last week we mentioned that college soccer would kick off in quote unquote a few weeks. Um, obviously it snuck up on us a little bit as uh, the Gophers most certainly did kick off their uh, regular season this past weekend down in Texas, uh, a draw and a loss to start the season for Minnesota. Uh, they drew Baylor 1-1 in the opener, Kaya Harper getting the goal for the Gophers uh, to notch that draw. And then they took a 1-0 lead against number seven TCU into the 85th minute behind five saves from Megan Plashko and a really good defensive performance. But TCU then showed why they're a top 10 team nationally in this uh, in this you know preseason poll because they uh, they fired off two goals in the last you know five plus minutes to steal a two to one heartbreaking win away from the Gophers. It was Kenna Beisman with the goal uh, to give Minnesota the lead uh, in early in the second half. But unfortunately they just could not hold on for that, uh, for that win. So Oh, one and one to start the season for the Gophers, but they are back at it tonight on Thursday against Cal Poly. And it's their first match back at Elizabeth law, Robbie stadium, their home opener. So a lot to be excited about, but I mean, you're taking on two pretty marquee opponents to kick things off in Baylor and TCU. Um, what do you make of this opening weekend for for you for the U of M? Yeah, like you said, I mean these are tough teams to, to to start your year with, but obviously that's that's what they wanted. They wanted the challenge. They wanted to start the year running. They want to start the year on a, on a strong note. And and yeah, you know the, the results themselves obviously don't go their way quite mathematically. At the same time, you have two close results against two good teams. Uh, with with um, with the TCU result, I mean, you're really close to a great result, and at the end, it just doesn't. It kind of falls apart a little bit. But I think that there's there's plenty to get from those two games that, and hopefully this this third game coming up that leaves the program feeling like they're in a good position to continue um, the positives from last season, find ways to improve mm-hmm. on them. They get uh, players like Plasco that are continuing to do their thing, look like they're you know continuing to to be in the form that they were refining last year and. Uh, yeah, I, I think obviously it would have been great to get better results, would leave more optimism to be found. But uh, at the same time, I think there's plenty of positives to take from from two competitive matches against two really good programs. So hopefully they can continue to put those pieces together um, at home tonight as, as we record. And, and mm-hmm. you know we'll have to see how all that obviously builds up to uh, to conference play when that arrives. One of those positives was the from the opening weekend was the uh, was the goal from Kaya Harper in the Baylor match. Mm. bar down from outside the 18 really beautiful goal if you haven't seen this uh head over to uh go for twitter or just or just look it up i mean it didn't make sc top 10 uh as uh you know the gophers have been have been uh known to do in seasons past uh but definitely could have been worthy it was definitely a top 10 nominee if you will because uh just a really beautiful goal to kick off the season for minnesota but they're still looking for that first win again that's tonight against cal poly at elr um 
St. Thomas women followed up a two to one exhibition win over St. Cloud with a, uh, a suspended match due to weather. They were leading green Bay two nil at halftime in their regular season opener. Um, but weather caused that match to have to be suspended. So um, at this point, from what we have gathered, it, it looks like it will be sort of postponed and, and kick started again at a, at another date. Um, but it was Jasmine Gates and Mariah win with the goals for St. Thomas in that first match. Uh, but then they returned to the pitch Thursday with a two nil win against Drake. And it was goals from Ariana Sanchez and Cameron Rintoul who, uh, who got that win. So um, we talked about St. Thomas last year, having uh, you know, um, what for all intents and purposes, a successful first season in D one, getting a few wins, getting a few results, not necessarily being in the summit league basement in that opening year. Um, and with these two performances, I mean, you're talking about, you know, a four nil aggregate, at least as it stands right now, uh, in these first two matches over green Bay and Drake, um, can't start the season any better for the Tommies. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously unfortunate that the, the weather ended up playing a role in that first match, but Generally, uh, you know, if, if you're that coaching staff, if you're those players, you have to feel pretty damn good about the position you're in. You got uh, almost two big wins, uh, you know, clean sheets, plenty of goals going in. Yeah, you know, I, the St. Thomas uh, women's soccer program last year, you know, obviously had plenty of struggles they're dealing with, just like the men's side. But, you know, to their credit, they actually arguably made more of of that season than the men they, they actually put together some some good streams of results through the season had some some really good positives and uh it's encouraging to see that they continue to seem to to be kind of hitting the ground running with this new season um if if these two games are any indication of what they'll look like across the the year uh no one should want to play them so <laughs> yeah. uh so uh you know hopefully they continue to find the goals hopefully they continue to be able to defend situations well as they've done in these first two games uh first two games uh we'll have to see but yeah uh, really encouraging obviously from a program again that is is in the middle of a, a transition a big transition that uh i'm, I'm sure that there's m- multiple years still of planning and, and you know goals that they have looking forward but uh, hopefully they can make the most of 2022 and on the men's side for St. Thomas, the Tommies opened the regular season tonight on Thursday um, at California Baptist. They're in California for this opening weekend. Uh, and then Sunday, they wrap that up at UC Riverside. Very interested to see uh, what the St. Thomas men have in store. They actually were picked to finish sixth in the conference in the uh, Summit League's preseason poll. Um, so obviously a lot of the uh, the coaches within the league encouraged by um, the roster that that they've been able to put together. So. Um, yeah, it's just intriguing to see what year two has in store for St. Thomas. Obviously, we have no matches to really break down or, or take anything from yet, but that will all change next week, and uh, we'll be breaking that opening weekend down for St. Thomas as well. Um, moving down a little bit to the uh, to D2, St. Cloud State start their regular season Friday night at home against South Dakota Mines. And then in the NSIC, um, non-conference action kicks off Thursday through Friday. This is on the women's side, correct? Yep, Dom. Yep. Yeah. Uh, St. St. Cloud hosts Northern Michigan. UMD hosts Michigan Tech. Concordia St. Paul hosts Rockhurst. Winona State travel to the University of Nebraska Kearney. And Mankato travel to Missouri Southern. Um, so a big weekend uh, of action, not only on the D1 and uh, on the D1 side, but also in Division Two with St. Cloud State men and the NSIC both taking off. And then uh, St. Scholastica. This is pretty interesting. Recently finished an English tour 
That saw them attend Fulham and West Ham matches towards Stanford Bridge, Stanford Bridge, which is of course Chelsea's home field. Uh, and then they also played an eleven fielded by a leading college placement agency based in England and a small club named Cromford and Worksworth Town. So that's kind of cool, you know, some something that some of these programs don't necessarily get to experience. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if they take anything from this experience and apply it to their upcoming uh, season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, off the top of my head, my memory is that they've done um, trips over to England in the past. That program through the coaching staff has a lot of English connections, including the head coach who's English. Um, and, and just even general sort of in the British Isles, a lot of connections, obviously uh, Duluth FC head coach, Sean Morgan, part of that staff who's Irish. Um, so yeah, it's really cool that they got to do that again. It's it's cool on the one hand that obviously the guys get to kind of see the country. They go to some games. It's cool. I believe those games were the Fulham 2-2 draw with Liverpool and what I think West Ham lost at home to someone, like Brighton maybe. Um, I think those are the games they saw. Um, cool, to, Obviously cool for them to have that experience from sort of a more fun social life kind of angle, but then cool that they get to also get some matches and experience playing some different teams. Um, you know, a, a lot of uh, English players come to the U.S. through those placement agencies, like the one they played. So that's that's obviously the connection there. But uh, yeah, it's just a cool experience. I'm I'm sure something that will help them as as they sort of continue to adjust to the Mayak, one of many teams kind of getting used to new homes in uh, in Minnesota college soccer. And and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how all of that plugs into their their upcoming season. And wrapping up the news here, WPSL Northern Conference Eleven has been announced. Uh, goalkeeper Haley Fisher from Sioux Falls uh, along the back line. It's Salvo's Jessica Hunt, Caitlin McBean from Minnesota Thunder, and Cheyenne Reed from Sioux Falls. Uh, midfielders, um, Amy Emily Heslin and Molly Fiedler from Salvo join Sioux Falls' Hattie Giblin and Minnesota Thunder's Paige Kalal. Uh, Kalal, excuse me. Uh, and then the forwards, Salvo's Kaya Harper, who has been mentioned on this podcast already <laughs> for the Gophers, uh, Paige. PTA from the Minnesota Thunder and then Mankato's Jenny Vetter, all nominated or announced, um, picked, selected, if you will, to the WPSL Northern Conference Best 11. Okay, Dom, let's get into our top four here. This is how we uh, wrap up uh, every episode where we kind of pick top four news stories that maybe don't fit in in any other part of the of the podcast, but that we want to mention. Um, and Dom, you have the most, uh, I think the most prominent one on here. So I'm going to let you go first. Sure. Um, my, my first one actually takes us right back to England where, <laughs> where, uh, Saints Alaska are, uh, with, um, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of listeners are aware, even if you don't watch the premier league, that, that Leeds United got a, a big three, no win against, uh, Chelsea, this, this major past- Leeds soccer. Yes. Shout Let's out. Go. Hashtag. Put in your bio <laughs> link in bio, but, uh, a really cool local connection with all that, not necessarily local to Minnesota, but local to the upper Midwest, is that uh, Leeds United head coach Jesse Marsh is a, a Racine, Wisconsin native and a graduate of uh, of Jerome Case High School in Mount Pleasant, Wisconsin. Uh, and, and he's you know leading this team. He's becoming one of the stories of the season, even in the English media, not just from an American perspective. And of course, that win comes with the help of, of fellow American players, Brendan Aronson from uh, the Philadelphia Union. Many will probably remember he gets a goal, he gets the opening goal. And uh, Tyler Adams played the game as well. Um, so just a really cool kind of connection between American soccer and, and, and English football. 
but also one that has some cool Midwest connections. I, I, I personally, just particularly because I'm, I'm from Wisconsin, not Minnesota, uh, it's really cool to see um, a manager. You know, I, 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 before I realized Jesse Marshall was from Wisconsin, I wasn't even sure I could name a professional man, soccer manager from Wisconsin. Yeah. And then I realized that he was from Wisconsin. And I was like, oh, wow, that, that's really amazing. It's so crazy cool that he's, uh, he's winning Premier League games uh, against, you know, really competitive sides. Obviously, Chelsea, everyone knows their, their status. So, yeah, just a really cool local connection kind of shows people um, maybe not to judge a book by its cover. One, obviously, in terms of what Americans can do, but also what people from places like Wisconsin that don't have necessarily a, a blockbuster soccer history can do so. Uh, just yeah, shout out to all three of them and, and congratulations to Leeds on what looks like it's going to be a really uh, entertaining season. I'm just picturing some like newspaper uh, in like rural Wisconsin, seeing this on AP <laughs> and just really going full on local angle, you know, <laughs> the way you said it, racing native and Mount Pleasant high school alum, Jesse Marsh leads Leeds United of the bar Cowles premier league to <laughs> To a Chelsea. Win over Chelsea's FC, you know, like yeah. just not completely not knowing yeah. at all the significance of it. But uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, jokes aside, really, really cool. Obviously, uh, Americans, Brendan Aronson, Tyler Adams playing key roles there as well. Jack Harrison of NYC FC fame, of course, uh, getting in on the action as well. Um, Aronson opens his uh, Premier League account with a Fragapane-esque uh, po- pickpocket type goal yeah. on the back. Um, really cool. Um, I think my favorite part of this though was the the Jesse Marsh celebrations. Yes. He's very animated on the sideline. Right. He loves when his team scores. And but it's like a different celebration each time, also, which I really uh which I really respect. It's he doesn't he doesn't necessarily just do the same one over and over again. It's a you get yeah. the wide range of emotions being shown from from Marsh. One thing I really one quick thing on this, we'll, then we'll go to your, your first one. But what one thing that I've really enjoyed about Jesse Marsh, obviously, so this game after the game ended, there was some questions about whether or not there was going to be any like confrontation with uh, Thomas Tuchel, because of course everyone who has Twitter saw the oldest crazy stuff that happened after the Chelsea Spurs game last week with with um, Antonio Conte, and nothing happened there. But from the first week of this Premier League season, there was a lot of attention towards. There was sort of a scuffle between Jesse Marsh and the Wolves manager, whose name escapes me. I believe it's Bruno large maybe my apologies uh i don't remember but anyways there was a bit of a scuffle some yelling some pointing and after the match obviously he was asked about that and he jesse marsh i'm paraphrasing obviously but basically said oh no it was nothing we we're just having a conversation and though that whole process to me as, as a person from the midwest made me feel very seen by a wisconsin native jesse marsh who that's the most midwest thing possible to me to get oh, a really is. intense yeah. argument and then be asked about it five minutes later and be like, oh, what are you talking about? That was just a conversation. So <laughs> shout out to Jesse Marsh. I love that. I love that. Um, my first one, um, sticking in Wisconsin, sticking with the Wisconsin theme here. Uh, congrats to former forward Madison standouts, Michael Vang, of course, St. Paul native there. Um, and Noah Fusan. They've been uh, a huge help in uh, you know Columbus Crew 2's success in uh, this MLS Next Pro season. And the crew two have officially become the first team ever to clinch the MLS Next Pro playoffs, uh, playoff spot in MLS Next Pro. So um, big congrats to them. And, um, you know, uh, getting into the playoffs gives them a little bit, you know, more of a national stage, if you will, to perform on. So um, Michael Vang's been really coming into form lately. Noah Fusan has just been 
been very, very important for them all year. He's even got some some time on the bench for the first team in Columbus as well. So, um, yeah, really cool to see those former Mingos doing their thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have to say uh, from the East Conference, that will be probably the team I'm sort of quietly rooting for just with all the connections. Um, it's it's a, a really good side, a really talented side. They, they've clinched playoffs. They're probably going to win the conferences. They got like a 10-point lead with a couple of games left. Uh, and uh, really cool that Vane and Fusan both get to be part of that project. Like you said, they both sort of found their form over the year and uh, would be really great for them to have some some playoff exposure as well. Obviously, both of them with with hopes to to climb the ladder and, and be part of something uh, bigger. So, yeah, uh, just congratulations to them on, on getting that and obviously best of luck with with what remains. Um, so my second thing, continuing the Everton soapbox uh, um, uh, theme here. Um, actually, Dom, you haven't done your second thing yet. We'll save the oh, Everton okay. box for the end because people will probably want to hear yours and then they'll <laughs> turn off the podcast early when I get to mine. So, um, in order to save that, we'll, we'll let you do your second one here. Uh, so mine is, it's a shout out to a former Duluth FC player, former NPSL North player who, uh, Alberto, uh, who some folks may remember. Uh, he became quite famous for saving lots of penalties in, in playoffs and also in the Open Cup for the Duluth. He's an Italian goalkeeper. Uh, played two seasons there. Uh, he's uh, found a new home uh, at the club level. He's back in Italy playing um, with uh, this year. He'll be playing with, um, I want to say that's probably pronounced Kions. It's a, a fifth-tier team uh, in, in Italy. Uh, last year, he was a, with a different team, Troviso is how I'm going to say that. And uh, with Treviso, he actually went on a really good run last year. They made the playoffs to get promoted to uh, Serie Day, but they, they unfortunately lost in that playoff bracket. So uh, he's, you know, having a, having a good time in the, in the lower levels in Italy right now. And that's, it's great to see from uh, a former MPSL player. I also can attest to the fact that he was a, a very nice person. So uh, best of luck with him this season as, uh, as he uh, starts in goal for Kions. Okay. Now, we get to the Everton soapbox. <laughs> so if you are disinterested in hearing my Everton rant or my toffee rant, you can, I understand. We'll see you next week. Uh, have a great weekend. Um, I get it. I'm not going to take offense to it. Um, but my second news story here um, is the Everton soapbox. Once again, Anthony Gordon wants out. Deli Ali has been loaned to beseek this uh, for the remainder of the season. They're coming off just a thoroughly convincing 1-0 win over Fleetwood yes. Town in the Carabao Cup opener. Um, you love to at see this it. Point, at this point, I'm pretty sure they would beat Fleetwood Mac 1-0 uh, <laughs> if they played them. Um, things things are looking bleak at the mm-hmm. moment. You, you draw Nottingham Forest at home, which is one of those teams that you'll be battling relegation against. Um, Forest has picked up points. You have not. Leeds, a team who many thought would finish at near the bottom of the table, is obviously picking up points and thinking they'll they'll look better than uh, what a lot of people thought they would. Um, so it's it's not looking good, and you're likely losing your best player. Uh, you know, eh. <laughs> I, <laughs> look, they they'll probably get like sixty to seventy million dollars for Gordon, which okay, especially if he wants out, okay get some money. Yeah. You you have to replace that quality though. Yeah. Because Gordon was really the only piece that was one of the few pieces that was really going to help you stay up if that was going to happen this year. 
And you, you have to stay up if you're Everton. You have this new stadium that's coming in 2024. You have a lot of financial things that are really going to just go down the crapper if you get de- demoted to the championship. You have to, that is the goal of this season is to just stay up. But without Anthony Gordon, that's going to be even tougher. When Damari Gray is your best goal scoring option, God love him. It's, it's not indicative of a team that does anything in the Premier League. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I mean, in the Deli Alley thing, fine. Doesn't like he was going to make much of an impact. Get some money. You need the money. I get it. The Gordon thing, he wants out, but you, you have to do something that Everton has not shown me ever that they can do. And that is allocate those funds properly to players who are actually going to impact your results. Yeah. Um, so I am, I guess I'm withholding my, my, um, my judgment on any of this until I see what they do with this money. Right. Um, it's good to have because obviously they've been strapped for cash, but you're you're losing you're losing two two potential goal scorers on a team that wasn't scoring goals already. So I don't know what you do. Yeah, it. They're in Everton are in such a strange position, and and, and of course worth noting of course that it's not helped by some injuries obviously um Albert Lewin not available and, and that sort of thing but I, I'm sure that it'll be easier to get points once he's back but yeah right now it, it, it feels a little bit like a team that but part of the problem I think that Everton are in is that they have players who are not bad but they're not players designed to play with each other and so you know, you you have you have Damari Gray, who is a talented footballer. I'm not sure he knows what his home is in that team. You have, um, you know, even against I, I watched that Fleetwood game. So I in that game, for example, a game that Everton probably should have won by more goals. Something that I thought was a little strange was that they, you know, started okay. So they started Rondon up, up front in that game. Obviously, that's that's a, a player that is is past his peak. There was a time where he was a, a great signing for teams in the lower half of the table. Your West Brons, your Newcastles. He's in his 30s now. It's not really that time anymore. But you know, you're playing you're playing League Cup. You you doubt you decide to play the guy that you don't necessarily want to play the lead game the next week. So they play him, but then they act like they're playing someone else because they're not playing the balls that Solomon Rondon needs. They're they're not playing to his feet. They're not putting crosses anywhere near him in the box, they're acting like some other guy is there who isn't a big dude. They're acting like they're acting like some really quick little dude is running around. It's like, well, why aren't you, do you know who's starting up front for the team? Mm-hmm. Like, play to the players you are playing. Don't pretend that someone else is there and just slap someone in and act like they're all the same person. And, and, and so that's another weird part for me. It just feels like it's a team that isn't really put together, keeping in mind, the other pieces. Um, that being said, I'm hope I would like for Everton not to go down, and I'm hopeful that they won't. I think that there's probably enough there to figure it out, but they they've started rough. Like you said, one of the problems is that a lot of other teams have started better. Even like yeah. Southampton, for example, yeah. have had a better start, um, and, and that puts Everton in a really weird position. For what it's worth. Although I understand there's less reason to hope for a change for them than the other teams I'm going to mention. But a lot of teams have had really bad starts the year that probably aren't going to finish anywhere near they are on the table right now. 
including you know your Manchester United's and your Liverpool's. So it, it's possible that that things will change, particularly if money is invested well, or if they keep Gordon and he just plays well. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really rough spot. It's a really rough spot uh, that. You know, I think any hope of this team finishing high is definitely gone if, if there was any to begin with. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how they, if they move Gordon and then how they reinvest that money. But I, 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 I'm with you, Jeremy. I hope that they stay up because I, I enjoy Everton being in the Premier League. I wish I had your level of optimism. <laughs> I really do. I'm just, I don't know. Like I said, I'm reserving judgment. But the injury list, yeah, I mean, rough. DCL. Ben Godfrey out till November. Decore out. Tom Davies out. Yeah. Yuri Mina out. Yeah. And now, now, now Anthony Gordon's probably out, and Deli Alley's out. Yeah. Anybody who has any sort of name value on this team, aside from Damari Gray, is out. And now, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. This, this yeah. though, if they find a way to stay up, that is Hollywood worthy. They need yeah. to start printing the script like <laughs> right away. Cause the, I mean, it, it would, I, at this point, depending on who they bring in, if they find some real value and bring in some real guys who can connect with the midfield and, and pour some goals in, I think this team has done enough defensively to show me that if they can find some goals, they can do, they can do the job and stay up. Hmm. But right now at this point, August 25th, it's seemingly an astronomical ask for this team to stay out of the bottom three at this point. So I, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not even cautiously optimistic. I am just very, very even about my, my thoughts and, and expectations for what's going to happen this season because uh, they don't, they don't have anybody currently. So that is what it is. Um, but yeah. That's where we're going to end the podcast this week. So if you've stuck <laughs> with us to the Everton Soapbox, thank you. Really appreciate that for the four of you who are continuing to stick around and listen to this. Um, big thanks to everybody who has tuned in. Uh, you know, we're 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 leading up on record listenership for the podcast in the month of August here. Um, you know, we're, we're really creeping up and, and it might be our best month of listenership ever. So we really appreciate that. If you if you know, if you really like what we're doing. Um, and you think that somebody else would really enjoy the podcast, maybe they haven't checked it out or maybe they don't know about it. Um, tell a friend, be a friend, tell a friend. Um, you know, that word of mouth really uh, is, is how we've gotten to this point. Um, if you haven't left us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do that. Um, there are a lot of free ways to help us out. But if you, again, if you want to go that extra mile, you can subscribe to our Patreon and get some bonus content. Patreon.com slash SodaSoccer, which right now you can go there and check out Domini's conversation on Makwele Akale joining South Georgia Tormenta in USL League One. So enjoy that uh, bonus piece of Patreon content. Enjoy the matches this weekend. We'll catch you next week to break it all down on another episode of 10K. See you guys.